welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on World Radio Day. Broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge Muncie Community. I'm Kaylin McPherson. And I'm Marshall Hildreth. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we start off with Mark Dunley as he brings us coverage from two rallies held at the state capitol this Monday. Then Lavender highlights an upcoming bilingual play of the Lorax held by the Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School. Later on, we hear from Bria Barthel and Lori Dreyer, manager of Troy Public Library's Lansingburg branch, on four lovely books for Valentine's Day. After that, Brad Monkell is joined by Eliza Gandhi and Brett Raybold for our weekly chuckle. Ha ha ha. Finally, we end with Tom Francis for this week's poetry segment. But first, here are the headlines. After an outside law firm determined that the rise Albany County Albany County District Attorney Dave Soares awarded himself uh, last year violated state law and the county charger. Soares has announced that he will be returning the money. The funds were from two state grants. The Times Union reports that Albany Academies, the city's oldest private school, will be cutting staff and making post most grades co-ed as the academies continues to deal with a significant decrease in enrollment. The Gazette reports that the proposed hockey arena and event center at Mohawk Harbor is poised to receive $5 million in funding from Schenectady County. This is the latest injection of public funds or for what is expected to be $50 million, a $50 million project. The city of Schenectady is also planning to contribute an additional $2.5 million to the project. Several Albany County legislatures are seeking to create a task force to determine how the revenue generated from cannabis sales tax in Albany County should be spent. These legislatures want to ensure that communities hit hardest by the war on drugs receive investments from the sales tax revenues in order to address economic and racial disparities within the county. The Troy City Council is once again offering Neighborhood Improvement Program funding for projects that enhance public spaces through painting, planting, public art, and maintenance of parks and trails or other improvements. Projects must be carried out by volunteers. Last year's $20,000 was provided to 21 projects. The deadline to apply is March 29th. Also, today is World Radio Day. It is a day to celebrate the past and future of radio. Woohoo! <laughs> and that is all for headlines. And for those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, grassroots listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the Capital Region. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn more on how you can join the HMM team, go to mediasanctuary.org slash get involved. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or give us a ring at 518-272-2390. Now for our first segment, we hear from Mark Dunley, who covered two rallies at the state capitol. The first rally was on the need to pass coverage for all which would extend federal Medicaid coverage to undocumented adults. In the second half, we hear from Senator Pete Harkman about his proposed to expand the sale of electric vehicles within New York State. On Monday, February 12, we covered two rallies at the state capitol. 
The first was on the need to pass coverage for all, which would extend federal medical coverage to undocumented adults. We hear from the two lead bill sponsors, Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez Rojas and State Senator Gustavo Rivera, as well as Assemblymember Harvey Epstein. In the second half, we hear from Senator Pete Harkum about his proposal to expand the sale of electric vehicles in New York. Representing the Coverage for All Coalition today, and we stand here in solidarity with community members, community-based organizations, elected officials, union leaders, to urge the legislature to include Coverage for All in their one house budgets this year. Right of Black History Month, I'll start with a quote by the great Martin Luther King Jr. Of all the forms of inequality, injustice, and health is the most shocking and inhumane. We know that the state has taken great steps towards equity and health. However, immigrant New Yorkers still remain one of the largest uninsured populations in New York State. I'd like to present our champion in the assembly, Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. Listen, I'm really thrilled to be here, but I'm actually tired of fighting for this because this is something we've been fighting for for many years. Prior to me holding this bill, which I proudly advocated for, uh, former Assemblymember Dick Godfrey advocated for this bill for many years. It is something that makes sense for New Yorkers. It is a bill that would ask the Commissioner of Health to draw down federal money by submitting a 1332 waiver to the federal government. This is a waiver that will be submitted that will allow us to use federal dollars to ensure a community that has given so much to our state, a community that is deserving of health care. Right now, we provide health care for children zero to 19, eight, well, until their 19th birthday, no matter their immigration status. And we fought and we were able to get adults 65 and older to get covered as well and pregnant people within their first year of postpartum uh, and the folks who are missing are the folks between 19 and 64 who are not pregnant or are not postpartum your, your health needs don't change when you turn 19 this is something that is both the moral and right thing to do and it will save the state money we've heard countless stories from our advocates that are behind us Healthcare is a human right period, and that's what we're fighting for. But it also makes fiscal sense for the state to do this. So I'm proud to champion this in the assembly and proud to work with my colleague in uh, the state senate to continue to fight, continue to advocate until we get this in the one house budget and ultimately in the New York state budget so that we can provide health care for every single New Yorker despite immigration status. Assemblymember Epstein. We have a hospital closing in my district, uh, Mount Sinai Beth Israel, and they're saying we have too many hospital beds. But the reality is when people don't have insurance coverage, their place to go is the emergency room. They can't go to preventative medicine. They don't have a doctor's office to go to. So what we're going to say is people who are in this category, the 19 to 64 year old, we forced to go to ERs with less ER beds, risk their health quality, impact their employment opportunities, and impact our state and cost us more money. Senator Rivera. That you believe that healthcare is a human right. Let's say that you believe that it is only fair that people, because they're people, have some sort of coverage so that they don't have to 
either go into debt or not have coverage or all. Let's, let's say that you believe all those things. Now let's say you believe none of that. Let's say that you don't believe that healthcare is human right. Let's say that you don't think that it's the right thing to provide healthcare for people. Let's just say that you just care about money. Okay, here's some facts for you. In 2022, the state of New York spent $860 million, 430 of that from a state share for emergency Medicaid. Back in 2022, we had a whole bunch of folks that didn't have any type of coverage but wound up in the emergency rooms because they, I don't know, were human and got sick and wound up there. And so the state had to pick up the tab for $430 million. So what we're saying here is that even if you don't care about people, even if you don't think that healthcare is a human right, if you care about the bottom line, then you need to make sure that you advocate extra, extra hard to get coverage for all. Because that means that we would get money from the federal government that they already told us explicitly last year that they would give us. So we have to ask for it so that we can extend healthcare coverage, the essential plan to all these folks who, again, because they're human, they will have some moment that they will need to be in the hospital, that they will need health. Senator Harkin has introduced legislation which follows the recommendations of the Climate Action Scoping Plan to increase the availability of zero emission vehicles by expanding direct to consumer sales by manufacturers. While car dealers oppose moving business away from them, direct sales makes it more difficult for customers to test drive the car before purchase. New York State Senator Pete Harkham, representing the 40th Senate District, also chair of the Senate's Committee on Environmental Conservation. Uh, with us today are representatives from New York League of Conservation Voters, the Sierra Club, Climate Reality Project, Environmental Advocates New York, ACE. Uh, last June, New York had its worst air quality day ever. It was a combination of ozone, heat, vehicle emissions, and wildfires. And despite our strict emissions controls in New York, our high population density and our heavy vehicle traffic um, pose a challenge to tackling air pollution. We know that particulate matter pollution contributes to the deaths of tens of thousands of Americans everywhere, also impacts uh, in a negative way health outcomes in terms of asthma, heart disease, lung disease, and a variety of other. In my district, in Westchester County, people think of Westchester as bucolic county in, in the Hudson Valley, and in many ways it is, and yet many parts of Westchester County are out of compliance with federal clean air standards. And that's in large part because of the amount of vehicular traffic on the highways that bisect Westchester County. One of the solutions uh, is in the transportation sector are electric vehicles. And as we know, transportation, that, that sector is the largest contributor of greenhouse gases. So several years ago, New York State signed a compact with other Northeast regions state and committed to putting 850,000 EVs on the road by the end of 2025. That's next year. And then 2 million EVs by the end of 2030, when it signed this MOU. According to NYSERDA, at the end of last year, there are only 180,000 EVs or plug-in hybrids on the road in New York State. That is 21% of where we need to be next year, let alone to the larger goal at stake. So we have a lot of work to do. And for a variety of reasons, 
uh, in New York, the discussion around electric vehicles has been bogged down. And we understand there are a lot of political reasons why that is. And so what we want to do is we want to open up the conversation with all stakeholders. And so today we're announcing a, a, a new bill that we're introducing with Assemblymember Solages uh, in the spirit of compromise and trying to get a dialogue going on this subject again. And this bill would lift the cap on direct EV sales only if the dealer franchise system fails to meet certain thresholds of sales. So the dealers have said they want to take the leadership role in, in rolling out EVs, and that's a terrific thing. That, that's something that we should be supporting. But if they can't, what this bill does is gradually phase in a few by certain benchmarks. And those benchmarks um, are, if it's less than 35% uh, EV sales by 2026, uh, there could be up to 10 new registrations for EV dealers. If it's less than 68% by 2030, there could be 10 more. And if it's less than 100% at 2035, and that is when New York State, under law, all new vehicle sales must be zero EV, would be another 10 more. So this is not a radical shakeup uh, of the dealer system. Uh, what we're trying to do is, is let the dealers lead the way, but we also want to provide support in the system. This is about our air quality. This is about climate change. This is about public health. This is not trying to change the economics of New York State. This is trying to get everybody at the table, seeing how we can work together to tackle this enormous problem. This has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you, Mark, for always bringing us the latest from the Capitol. To hear the rest of this interview, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org slash HMM. Now we hear from our correspondent, Lavender, who spoke with D director Christoph de Mira on the upcoming bilingual play of the Lorax, which is being held by the Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School. Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School is putting on a bilingual children's play, El Lorax, on February 15th. Joining me now is the director, Christoph Di Maria. Welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Ah, gracias, Lavender. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Awesome. Um, so this is a, a bilingual play that you're you're having on February 15th, right? That's correct, yeah. So the play is in both English and Spanish. Um, I adapted the Lorex script from the original Dr. Seuss book, as well as a 1972 film that is complete with music. So anyone coming to listen will hear some lines in Spanish, some lines in English, and I've tried to make them rhyme uh, even across languages, which was a fun challenge. And it is both February 15th and 16th, so Thursday and Friday evening. Got it. Cool. You actually answered a couple of my questions, which is what languages will they be speaking in and uh, who wrote the bilingual script? Um, so it sounds like you you adapted it from a fully English one. Correct. Awesome. Um, and you're also the director. What is it like directing uh, in multiple languages? Ah, that's a great question. Um, so the kids here are wonderful. Um, at Castellan Bilingual Montessori School, they serve uh, pre-K through fifth grade. So um, this is Clase Verde, which is um, about 
11 students from six to 10 years old. And there's one kindergartner who's five uh, who are all oh. participating. And they are in various states of their familiarity with the Spanish language. So a couple of them um, are totally immersed in that. Their families speak Spanish at home. Um, and they are in classes where some of the teachers speak Spanish the entire time. And then some of them are less familiar with English and um, with Spanish, excuse me. And so they are learning. And so a lot of the process of the play was translating, especially some more difficult terms that are relevant specifically to the story. And this is Dr. Seuss, right? So you can imagine <laughs> that <laughs> there are some words that obviously just don't translate. Why? Because Dr. Seuss made them up. <laughs> Um, so right. those ones will still be in, uh, in you know, Susie in English, as it were. Uh, I conduct my rehearsals in a combination of both English and Spanish. I would say at this point, it's probably about 70% English, 30% Spanish. Um, and that varies from day to day. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've learned how to navigate the stage in Spanish. Um, they've understood some theater vocabulary in Spanish and, um, are sometimes speaking Spanish to one another, though that's far less frequent right now. Got it. Um, have you put on other productions in multiple languages? So yes, this is actually my second year with Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School. Uh, last year, we produced an adaptation of an Anansi myth um, from West Africa and the Caribbean. Um, which was also in both Spanish and English in a script that I had adapted. Very cool. Um, so what other bilingual events does the school have besides these plays? Ah, yeah. So everything. Uh, essentially, this school is bilingual in terms of its uh, approach and intention to the Montessori style of education. So that means that in some of the classrooms, they are completely immersed. There's only Spanish spoken. Um, they do experience cultural and artistic and educational materials in Spanish and English. Um, there's a lot of you know active translation and learning Spanish going along. And there are other events. So there will be you know a talent show or a parent meetup or uh, a movie night in which sometimes um, the Spanish language is featured. Awesome. So this is my first time hearing about this school, just from the, you know, Melissa and the website. Uh, I've learned that this is a nonprofit independent elementary and middle school. Can you talk about what that means and how that works? Yeah, a little bit anyway. That question is best posed to the school's director, uh, Diane Nickerson who started the school, I believe, 12 to 15 years ago. And um, they've been in this location for, I think, at least five years. And basically, the Montessori style of education is a pedagogy that can be adapted for any school setting, but it is not necessarily an institution in and of itself. Right. So what that means is the school runs independently, it has its own board. Um, it meets New York State, um, you know, guidelines and specifications for education, as far as I understand. But in addition, you know, it adapts this very particular style of teaching 
um, with the intention of exposing kids to the Spanish language and also introducing them to the community. So, you know, as a nonprofit, you know, you can imagine that that model has its own ins and outs, um, both its advantages and detractions and, excuse me, guidelines, but also that it allows for a lot of intersection and cross-pollination with community groups. So for instance, you know, I'm sitting in the basement of the First Church of Albany, which is the Dutch Reformed Church uh, here that I think was built in 1632, no, 1642, excuse me. Um, wow. So it's been here for quite a while. Um, and, you know, I'm in the basement here in Zimmerman Hall, which is their stage space. And this is where the school comes to rehearse and perform their annual winter play. The students have also gone to other places in the community that may be familiar to some sanctuary listeners, including the Radix Ecological Sustainability Center with Scott Kellogg. Um, they have been to the Albany Pine Bush Preserve. We actually took them on a field trip there specifically for this play to have them reflect on their experience with nature and to learn a little bit about New York State's ecology and also to collect some sounds and look for animal sign, including tracks and scat, which was really fun. Um, and sometimes they have special guests, myself included as a guest artist and other folks from the community who come and interact with these kids. That's very cool. Um, can you talk about uh, what you just said, you being a guest artist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was approached by, um, Diane, the director here at Castle Island, to um, gauge interest in working on this play. So I am—I have a background in theater making. Uh, I've been a musician, uh, a performer, an actor, uh, a playwright, a director, um, and many, many other hats, including activist, um, and now parent myself and educator over the course of you know the last twenty years of life or so, and. This particular project really interested me, uh, A, because of its bilingual expression, but B, because it's an opportunity to bring kids who don't normally get a lot of theater making opportunity. You know, that's not usually something you see in elementary schools. There might be a school play or a pageant, but to the level where there's like lights, and sound and music and, you know, big sets and costumes, um, all built by the teachers and the community and myself and the kids mostly. Um, this is a unique opportunity to get them really invested uh, by having them participate hands-on, you know, and Montessori is a uh, student-led educational model, which essentially means that as educators, you know, we're there to inspire them and then to see where they want to take something and support them in that journey. So, for instance, you know, with a lot of the artistic side of this play, they were gifted the opportunity to make the poster and make some of the set pieces and dream up how they would like their costumes to work. We also, you know, brought in a little bit of circus. And so the kids who could do some gymnastics or tumbling already, you know, um, suggested that they wanted to show off those skills. So that's what interested me. And as a guest artist, what that means is I come in for six weeks and work with these kids for one hour a day, five days a week. And then on the margins of that, you know, I'm working on the script or I'm working on the set and I'm working with a coalition of teachers and then the rest of the Castle Island faculty and staff who have been supporting them. Very cool. Uh, where can people learn more about the school and where can they get tickets to the show? 
Ah, that is a great question. So the first thing you're going to want to do is go find Castle Island Bilingual Montessori on the various social media. There is an Instagram account. There is Facebook. There is also a website. Um, through either of those means, you'll definitely be able to find the Eventbrite link for the play that's happening on February 15th and 16th at 6 o'clock. The doors will open around 5.30, and there will be a bake sale. Um, and of course, this is a fundraiser for the school. So all of the proceeds go to furthering the children's education and investing in um, all manner of programming, including this theater arts program for next year's. The website is Castle Island Montessori, that's M-O-N-T-E-S-S-O-R-I, .org, and that's where you can learn more. Gracias, Lavender and Christophe. For more information on the event and where to find tickets, uh, they will be linked on our website at mediasanctuary.org. Under this interview, you can find that at mediasanctuary.org slash HMM. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, I'm Marshall Hildreth. And I'm Kellen McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOL. W-O-A-L-P 106.9 FM Albany and always streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, in Troy, New York, or right here in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org slash HMM. This week, love is in the air. And today on the air, we hear from Bria Barthel as Laureen Dreyer tells us which books stole her heart for this month's reading recommendations. This is Bria Barthel with Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm back once again to talk with Laurie Dreyer, the branch librarian for Troy Public Library's Lansingburg branch. But we're down at the main branch. In case people haven't heard the news, what's going on in Lansingburg? Well, if you haven't heard the news, we had a flood back in December, on the 18th of December. Uh, so we had, it was raining inside, essentially. Uh, obviously, we are closed while that gets repaired. Um, we have gone through the process of uh, demolition, where they removed all the damaged uh, items in the, in the room, including books. There were not a lot of books damaged, so that's uh, really good things. First question people t- tend to ask me. And then we're going through, the roof has been fixed now, and we are waiting on the insurance company to approve the estimate so we can start reconstruction. I don't have an opening date, sadly, uh, but uh, we will definitely update you on our website. But if the reconstruction hasn't even started, it's not going to be in February. Well, probably. I don't know. I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. Like I said, uh, you know, we're waiting on the insurance company. There may be things that we have to do beyond what the insurance company approves. So that, of course, adds to the length of time we're closed. So Lori and her colleagues, uh, Mike Gregg and Ernst, are all down here at the main library carrying on. 
So uh, one of the things she's carrying on with is bringing up us book recommendations each month. And this time she decided to focus on kids' books. What did you have in mind with that? Oh, I, you know, it's, uh, we're coming up on a couple of holidays about love and I just wanted to focus on that. Kids' books have such amazing art these days and, uh, and, and they're so well written and they're just so much fun. And of course they're a quick read. Uh, you know, I, as an adult with no children, I love reading kids' books. So I, I encourage people of all ages to read them. And with uh, school holidays coming up, uh, parents, guardians, family members, you have more time to read with your kids. Exactly, exactly. And, and there are some in this bunch that are really great for reading aloud. Okay, so what's the first one? All right. Well, the first one is called Eyes That Kiss in the Corners, and it is written by Joanna Ho and illustrated by Zung Ho. Uh, it is a really lovely book that explores self-love and acceptance as well as familial love. It's a story of a young Chinese-American girl, and she notices that her eyes uh, are different from those of her classmates and her friends. So she ex kind of explores what that means uh, and why her eyes are so similar to those of her mother, her grandmother, and her younger sister. So some of those connections uh, relate to classic Chinese tales, which are really illustrated beautifully in these full-page color spreads, um, beautiful colors. Um, and then the girl feels empowered. She, you know, at the end of the story, you really feel like she's made this connection with her family and she's filled with appreciation for her own identity. It's really a book about self-love. Longtime listeners may have an echo of, wait, didn't I hear about that once? I think that was one of Carol Roberts's picks a few months ago, but I think that's a testimony to how good the book is that two different librarians said, this is worth telling people about. Yes, sorry for the repeat. But yes, yes, it is. It's a really wonderful book. It's got simple text, and it's recommended for uh, ages four to six, or two to six, I'm sorry. Okay, and then the next book? The next book some of you also may be familiar with, it's called Hair Love. It is written by Matthew, Matthew A. Cherry and illustrated by Vashti Harrison. It's the story of a young girl named Zuri who wakes up and she's excited about the big day that she has planned. She tiptoes around the house trying not to wake up her dad. And uh, she goes to the bathroom because she wants to do her hair really special for today. And while she's on her, uh, her tablet, the cat knocks over her tablet, making a noise, wakes up her dad. He comes in and he starts to do her hair. And it is just the most delightful interaction between a father and a daughter. And, you know, you don't see that much in any stories. You don't see a lot of daughter-father uh, tales. So this one's just really lovely. It is uh, a really beautiful, beautifully illustrated book. Each page has like one or two simple sentences and really helpful facial expressions for younger readers. So it's recommended for ages two to seven. I would also be remiss if I did not mention that this book is based on a movie, which I know is the opposite way it usually goes. Uh, but there's a short film called Hair Love you can find on YouTube. And the, the film, I mean, it packs a lot of story into just seven minutes, I have to say. And it is actually a little bit different story than the book, uh, but definitely worth a watch. I think that was up for an Oscar a few years ago. I believe it was up for, uh, yes, an Academy Award, yes, and it won. 
Very cool. And the illustrations really are wonderful. Yes. Okay. And next. So next we have Worm Loves Worm, which is just such a fun book. Uh, the plot of Worm Loves Worm is very simple. Two worms meet, they fall in love, and they decide to get married. The oh, this is, has Valentine's Day written all over it. Doesn't it just? Yes. Uh, the complications as is often the case, come after the decision to get married is made. Uh, and a bunch of the other characters in the book say, oh, well, you know, you have to have somebody officiate. That's what we've always done. Who will wear the rings? Who will wear the dress? Who will wear the tux? And it all kind of comes down to uh, worm loves worm. And that's the most important part of the day. And I can see how you you might be able to get a ring on a worm. I don't see how you would get a tuxedo on a worm. Well, you have to read the book to find out. They get very, very creative. So without being too heavy-handed, the book really breaks down a sensitive topic into its most basic, simplest foundation, which is that love, of course, conquers all. It is intended for ages two to six. Terrific. And you've got another one here. I do. So my last one is called Anzu, the Great Kaiju. And I don't know if you know what a kaiju is. And that's K-A-I-J-U. I can read the word from here, but listeners, you can't. But I don't know what it is. Okay, a kaiju is a, a large mythological beast that destroys cities. So like uh, Godzilla was a type of kaiju. Uh, Mothra was a type of kaiju. Yes, so, and they're, they've become kind of more popular in uh, modern tales, uh, particularly Asian tales. And so this is a book about Anzu. He's a kaiju, and he's very excited because he's going to the ceremony where he's going to get his official power, uh, or he's going to get his city, the city that he is meant to destroy and, and terrorize. He's going to be awarded his city. And his power, it turns out, is... The power of flowers. The power of flowers, F-L-O-W-E-R-S. So flower power lives. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's not atomic breath. It's not the ability to summon storms. It's not magnetism. Uh, but the power of flowers uh, is something that he can use. And so he tries very hard to torture the city. And he all just kind of creates laughter and joy. And then eventually he figures out, he feels like a failure. Why am I a kaiju? You know, uh, he feels like a failure and he figures out how to, t how to torture the city. And then he realizes that he didn't really want to do that because he sees how miserable he makes the little people in the city. And it's worth seeing it just to see that this kaiju that is supposed to terrorize a city is a fluffy little yellow ball. Yes, he's very cute. And the book itself is illustrated very similarly to a graphic novel. So, uh, so it's kind of a good start for kids who maybe are interested in graphic storytelling or comic books. This one is recommended for ages four to eight. It also seems like one that might be fun to read aloud with someone because I know there's a two-page spread. Anzu swooshed, he schwacked. S-H-W-A-C-K. <laughs> For those of you doing crossword puzzles, uh, he stomped and he roared. Yes, exactly. And it's really a sweet tale because he doesn't want to disappoint his parents, you know, who are regular kaiju, and his grandmother, who is also in the story. And uh, it ends up, it ends up, you know, 
I'm not going to say much more. I don't want to spoil it for you guys. you got to come get the book at the library. And that library is the Troy Public Library main branch only. And the location of the library? The library is located at 100 Second Street in Troy, New York. So we're right in downtown Troy next to the courthouse. And for more information, you can go to the website, thetroylibrary.org. Once again, that's Lori Dreyer. She's the manager of the Lansingburg branch, but with that close, she's down here at the main branch. And I'm Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks, Lori. Thank you for having me, Bria. Thank you, Bria and Lori. Our hearts go out to the Lansingburg branch as they continue to recover from flooding. And we always look forward to next month's reading recommendations. Now we turn our recommendation for the love of comedy with Brad Monkell himself. Hello, Brad. How are you tonight? Hey, Kaylin. Doing good. Hi, Marshall. Hello. Glad, glad to be here as always. It looks like you're in a pretty dark car there. Yep, I'm in the middle of a uh, rehearsal right now. Oh, fun. I'm glad I can, I can join you guys to talk about some uh, comedy. So who'd you bring this week with you? This week I'm very happy to be joined by uh, Eliza Gandhi, as well as uh, uh, Brett Raybold. Say hello, you two. Hi. Yo, hey, how's it going? It's I'll going tell you, great. I'll tell you what, I can relate to this kaiju. I mean, you're talking about someone who feels like a failure who doesn't want to disappoint their parents. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm a kaiju, man. I think I'm a kaiju. <laughs> I'm glad you got a lot out of that last piece on the show. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, I can. Re- we can all relate in, in the in the struggle of doing comedy. But you, you, what do you have to complain about? You guys are doing very well. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to both of you because uh, <laughs> you guys are both going to be up here this weekend for shows in the Capital Region. Uh, if if anyone listening would like to catch the shows this weekend, um, both Brett and Eliza are going to be at. Fort Orange Brewing this Saturday at 7:30. Funny enough, I'm literally my rehearsal space is right next door. I wish I, I wish it was at the same time so I can go over after. Um, mm-hmm. And then Eliza is also going to be at the Lark Street Tavern this Sunday at seven o'clock. Um, and just to do a little quick, I guess background on you guys for everyone listening. You know, uh, Brett has a new comedy special out called Brett Rabel Retires from Comedy. Uh, well, I guess it's not it's not that new. It's a couple of years old, right? Hey, a couple of years old, but it's still fresh if you haven't seen it. Wait, he's yeah, retiring you... already? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I re- it's a great question, Kalen. I did retire from comedy for a brief spat. I pursued a career in jazz singing, re- uh, releasing an album called Bread on Buble, which was a jazz record that was a cover album of Michael Buble songs. Brett was uh, actually my number one Spotify artist this year. Now I know it's a lie. Now I know it's a lie. I can't wait to listen. I had no idea. Man. I mean, I play a lot of jazz. I didn't, I didn't realize you did both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a cover album, Michael Buble songs. And to answer a follow-up question, no, I have zero jazz singing abilities but that didn't stop me from making that record <laughs> Honestly, okay so if you know anything about atonal music you should really check out brett's album mm-hmm. that's true <laughs> hardcore jazz it went 34 on the jazz charts i'll have you know uh, oh damn turns <laughs> out 
Yes, it did. And turns out if you wrangle enough friends and family together to buy it on iTunes, you too can chart on the jazz charts. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sure the jazz snobs are just seething with rage. <laughs> hey, I was right below Harry Connick Jr. And I knew, Damn. I knew he felt the flames of me coming up behind him. You're a more accomplished jazz artist than me. <laughs> Listen, we got to get you on the next album. <laughs> got to get well, you on the next uh, album. Studio there's sessions. There's so many exciting things to talk about. I mean, Brett, you also have uh, your show Better Haves on Sirius XM. You co-wrote uh, the play Race, the play, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about all of it. Eliza... Um, is a studying dramatic writing at NYU. She's PA at the Daily Show. Um, she's working with the Tribeca Film Festival now, and uh, has produced shows at BCC and Soho Playhouse. So now that now that we have like I guess everything uh, laid out here, before we circle back to some more of your skill sets, Eliza, you're from up here, right, in the Capital yeah. Region? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in the Capital Region. I grew up going to like all the storytelling mics in the area, um, and like watching a lot of improv in the area too. So, and then I just came out to the city to college. Uh, met a lot of comics. Met Brett. Actually, no, I met Brett oh. in Albany, which is really funny. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then Brett, where are you from? I am originally from Kansas City, Kansas. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, my, and, my girlfriend's uh, from Kansas. Yeah. Oh, I, I like even more. And, uh, yeah, as of yesterday, I big news, guys. I just became a three-time Super Bowl champion. So, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you, I mean, very accomplished guy mm-hmm. on the mic right now. Brett is bragging all over. You got, you got lots of credits. To it was here. all me. It was all me. Don't let them fool you and talk Patrick Mahomes or Kelsey or even T-Swift. I take sole credit for the three Super Bowl rings. Uh-huh. You're kind of like the T Swift of Kansas City. <laughs> I, wow, that would that is high praise. Honestly, is... get on Taylor next, maybe. Well, you know what's funny, yeah, Eliza. I love that you mentioned that because I actually do want to. She has uh, Taylor has been re-recording her albums, Taylor and Taylor. because I think she has like a a bad fella who I don't know the specifics, but he's like a jerk, and yeah. uh, which might be he may have done worse things than jerk. To be clear, I. I <laughs> uh, I don't actually know the story, but so she's making, uh, you know, 1989 Taylor's version. Oh, it's and, already out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't even know much about T-Swift. I thought that was already. So I'm, I want to make 1989 Taylor's version, Brett's version, I think would really. I, I am here for that. Yes. Yes. That would be really exciting. Got to get some play. Got Yeah. Get your some voice kind of reminds me of her. I feel that. <laughs> um, so, so listen, I don't, I don't want to start a fight between you two. You guys mm-hmm. seem like great uh, co-workers, like you've got a good rapport. But I got to ask, Eliza coming from Albany and, and then you coming from Kansas City, who's got the better home scene? Oh, are you? is this a question? Albany is the capital of New York, which is undoubtedly the most important state in the country. I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys know, but there's a president buried in Albany. Wow, Eliza. One, but he's which, there. Do you know, know which one? With... I don't at this moment, off the top of my head, recall. But I know he's there. And... <laughs> Just how do you know it's not one of the certainly bad ones? He wasn't bad. <laughs> he wasn't alive for long enough to be bad. But um, he was there. Um, if anyone does know, please feel free to chime in because I I know he's there. 
Um, and yeah. then Stanford was meant to be built in Albany. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. She's then- laid out a pretty good case for yeah. Albany, albeit very a lot of blue state arrogance in there. What do well, you have to say about Kansas City to respond to that? Well, here's what I'll say. If we're talking, first off, the president that's buried in Albany is Chester Arthur. And did I Google that? No, I just know things like this off the top of my dome. <laughs> Second off, if we're talking presidents buried in your home state, I'll see your Chester Arthur and I'll raise you a Dwight Eisenhower, okay? Ike is buried in Kansas and I am actually proud of that and I did know that pre-Google. So you know what, Eliza? The show's over. We're having the, sh- the show break up live on air. <laughs> so, why, why is Dwight I, why is the president that important buried in Kansas? I don't he's, he's like he's kind of from he's from there, you know. But was he funny? Is that that's the real question? No. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just know I like Ike was a saying, and I I like Ike. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Albany guy, but uh, you know, I, I'll I'll let the listeners decide. If any of you see see them at the shows this weekend, make yep. sure you let them know how you feel about this. Yo. I mean, you're coming into all into Albany territory, Brett. So <laughs> watch your back while you're in Albany. You've been talking about nice and hostile, Brett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I because I have a lot of material roasting Chester Arthur. <laughs> Yo, that, that of... stuff is not safe to do around you. You might get Albany canceled. <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if you ask oh, Andrew Cuomo, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> um, yeah. But you have so you have been to Albany before, Brad. Yeah, we did a we did actually did a, a show. I've done a couple of shows in Albany uh, before, and uh, the last show we did was probably like three four months ago, and um, it was at Ford Orange Brewing, just like the one this Saturday. And uh, it went really well. Uh, Eliza had did an amazing guest spot. And uh, another great friend of mine, Sharif Johnson, and I um, co-headlined the show. And Sharif's a wonderful comedian, also based in New York City. Really good, honey guy. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys can keep doing it. Um, I'm really glad that Ford Orange is supporting you guys and helping you bring um, you know, talented New York City comics up. So just so everyone can remember, that's this Saturday, 7.30 at Fort Orange Brewing Company. And Eliza's going to be at the Lark Street Tavern on Sunday as well at 7 o'clock. Um, is there anything else that people should uh, check out on YouTube? Um, you know, if they're interested in finding out some more? Hey, listen, listen. I'm a sucker for plugs. So if you open the floor for me to plug, <laughs> I, I got... I got... You huh? can you can mention what you're doing. Don't we we can't tell. I, I, I I'm stuff. aware. Yeah, yeah, I will mention what I'm doing in a way <laughs> that is within the parameters, respecting the uh, legality of of radio. But I will say, uh, I appreciate you guys having us on. We're gonna have a very fun show. And um, if anyone is interested, I'm a comedian based in New York. I have an upcoming stage table read of a script i co-wrote that will be done uh with dane cook and another amazing comic named dean edwards february 28th at playwrights horizons i believe i said things correctly but maybe not um yeah if you want to check me out you can follow me online i have a short film that should be coming out in the next few months so 
Kiva. Awesome. Well, that's again, that's uh, Eliza Gandhi as well as uh, Brett uh, Raybold. So uh, thank you both so much for joining us on the show today. Kaylin, are you ready for me to throw it back to you? Sure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Great car interview. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, always thank you, Brad, for bringing us a laugh, and especially to Eliza and Brett for coming on to Hudson Mohawk Mag. Excited to see those shows. Uh, And now we move on to Tom Francis as he details our weekly poetry segment. Tom Francis welcomes African-American author, playwright, poet, and recording artist Carol Durant to the stage as the featured reader at the long-running poets speak out loud spoken word series at McGeary's in Albany. Carol Durant is an African-American author, playwright, poet, and recording artist. She was a stage manager for Escaped Alone, and her theater credits include Hudson Valley New Voices Festival, Westchester Collaborative Theater, Screen IRL, 10-Minute Play Fest, Art in the Public Eye, and Black Theater Troupe of Upstate New York at Siena College. She was the host of the long-running Outliers Poetry Brunch in Albany and is the founder and co-host of the Stage and Stanza Theater and Poetry Collaborative event with Russell Sage College. Carol is also a board member of All Abilities Productions Upstate New York. On June 25th, 2018, Carol was the featured poet at the Poets Speak Loud series at McGeary's in Albany. 2017 was monumental for me because I woke up in January 2017 and decided two things at two separate days. First thing was, I think I need to publish a book. What am I going to publish? I had sitting on my table and in a box and on my phone, poetry everywhere, napkins, scraps, you name it, it's all over the place. There was a pile. I needed to do it. That was the first thing. So I put it all together, had a manuscript, and I could go on. Will not. But the conclusion is, shameless plug, whole fat and gluten-free poetry. Available Kindle, Nook, Amazon, local bookstores. And I will be reading some selections from whole fat and gluten-free poetry. My first selection is called Silent Echo. I feel the silence of the air around me. Your indentation lays on my soul. I can't touch your hand or respond to your smile. You are part of my cloud, and regardless of how many times I say that I'm fine, I internally despise time that I can't fast forward nor rewind and see you. Thank you. So in and around putting the manuscript together, et cetera, you know, you have to find an editor and who are you going to trust the process to, to make sure. And thankfully for me, found two editors who, you know, basically as backup just to get my thoughts and my splicing of the commas and all the other crazy stuff that I do together. So I give a shout out and thank you to those editors because they are fantastic. Next selection is called PJ Promenade. 
I'm set in my ways, and I don't want to change my pajama pants. I want to wear them everywhere. Comfort over fashion, over fashion and your reaction is hilarious. Because you think I'm nefarious and escaped from the trailer park with a beater tee and flip-flops, strolling like Mrs. Astor down the promenade du Walmart. Thank you. Uh, the next one is called Lobed Out. My son illuminates my journey, hoping for a pathway to victory, promising nothing but a destination for this hopeful traveler. Weary from navigating the potholes of life delivered by internal thoughts or covertly by so-called friends or DNA relatives. I walk steadily without sunblock, naked to the rays, thoughts ablaze, which could cause my soul to blister and route to be interrupted by gauze anointment. In a prone position with a psychiatric, psychiatric nurse, who cares? Thank you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I know people who have been through the uh, the ringer, and thankfully they came out on the other side in a positive, so. Uh, um, my best friend has twins, so I wrote this for them in the book, it's, they're, it's dedicated, they're some of the dedications are indeed for them. To Hold is the name of it. I'm a twin, and so I share room in the womb and same air. Also half, have half a birthday and maybe own room, fraternal. Identical, gender to be named, always a focal point. But shadows would I like to claim we learned trust to argue and resolve every day and without you, no instant play. No funny faces learning to swim, fight, and play and not quit. With more of life's milestones that came up quick like dating, driving, and graduation days. So without you, I would have a single view, not double attitude. Always linked to someone else, so I never walk by myself. Is comforting, like cookies and milk. Thank you. This is one of my favorites, just because we all live, well, some of us live in Albany, New York. It's called Empire Motto. A man from Albany gained largesse without scrutiny. A capital gain and importance remained despite a heart full of larceny. Thank you. Okay. Last two. Uh, first one, be woke. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see the injustice that swirls around me. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can feel the tears that flow down my face because reality is too real. I didn't imagine another killing with blood spilling on the road and more disdain and pain without justice for our gain. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see 
You can grab my soul and beat your pole in front of me, and no one dared to tell or dispel the look of all the joy that evaporated from me. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see. I needed me to anchor my thoughts, toss my thoughts, and get myself clean to make me focus on the struggle that is in me. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see. I need to put the oxygen on me to save us from the enslaved us and soldier on while the war waits for the rage to catch on. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see. It's a joke that I just became woke so, that I, so I can see. You can prove that one can show a direction to take or pathway to create. While victory imminent or years away is a goal with work and dismay. It's a joke that I just became woke so that I can see. I need shades to see through the light that sometimes blinds me from seeing the truth that will keep me free. Thank you. And last one is called Evicted. Don't bite the hand that feeds you, that feeds you and you. The faucet could get turned off and you have to fend to mend. Belly aches and no crumbs left out, detached. Shut your mouth and do what you're told. Your thoughts may be bold, but you have no ownership of your space and deal with the monthly rates and give your stacks to others to Mac. Cause you are a renter and although no shame, I'm on the streets in seven days without boxes and a bunch of things. Where to go and what to do, I can't cry. I must act and do. I'm feeling fetal and feeble and need to rise and fight. Grab my phone and contact my peeps that's been in my shoes. Loud cries, positive vibes, and plenty of leads and offers of food. Tomorrow may yield my new address and my next new space. Temporary again, but not for long. Mission focus, not cryptic. So my being will always be grounded, permanent, and never evicted. Thank you. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. And thank you again, Tom Francis, for more Talking with Poets segments. You can go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, or listen Tuesday mornings or Wednesday nights for new episodes. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Kaylin McPherson. And I'm Marshall Hildreth. Our engineer is also Kaylin McPherson. And we want to thank all of the volunteers who made today's episode possible, including Mark Dunley, Lavender, Bria Barthel, Brad Monkell, and Tom Francis. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hudson Mohawk Mag or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. And be sure to tune in on weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. or stream to Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are always available on demand and on our website or on your favorite podcast forum. We thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.